And sorry, I know you guys wanted to clap, but everything I'm going to say is going to be amazing. Um, <laughs> how do you pay, man? Uh, if you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Great cash, homie. Mama, there goes that man. Hello and welcome to episode 52 of Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. Before we get into everything, I've been saying it at the end of my episodes, but I'm going to throw it at the start here. Going to remind you all, like, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, everything like that. Share this podcast with a friend. Anything you can do to get this podcast in more people's ears, that is greatly appreciated. On this edition of Carson Sack, we really only have... Three segments that I need to do. We are going to do the mail sack. I was a bit iffy about doing it this week, but had some good questions that came in when I posted on Snapchat and Instagram, so we're going to do that. We're going to talk about the Sweet 16, the Elite 8, and the Final Four. And then what I am most looking forward to in this episode, which will be the last segment. So if you are not interested at all, once I'm done talking about the Final Four and college basketball games that happened last week and that are going to be coming up this week, you can just shut off. But the segment I'm most looking forward to is my WrestleMania 35 preview that I, like I said, cannot wait to do. So let's just get things rolling right into it and let's start with the mail sack right here on Carson Sack Podcast where we talk balls. This week's first question on the mail sack comes from Will Bingham and he asks most shocking upset so far. I assume he's talking about shocking upsets in the NCAA tournament. This week was I guess kind of full of two upsets. The first one Auburn over Kentucky. I think Kentucky is the better team and I think if these guys played 10 times. They played three times. Kentucky won two out of the three. Unfortunately not. They didn't win the most important one. I think Kentucky would win eight or nine times. And unfortunately, on Sunday, it was one or two of the times that Auburn was going to win. The other upset that happened this week was, I will say, yeah, the biggest upset of the tournament so far. Michigan State beating Duke, and their high-powered freshman offense was Zion, the superstar, and everybody else. I still think the Oregon over Wisconsin was up there, and I think the way it wasn't an upset didn't pan out for Purdue, but the way they played against Virginia and how they had a chance to win at the end because Carson Edwards going off was shocking to me. I know didn't, like I said, pan out for Auburn. Um, excuse me, didn't pan out for Purdue left to complete the upset, but that was still shocking to me. But overall, Michigan State with their game plan and how well they played and being able to beat Duke, that is the most shocking upset so far in the tournament. Next question comes from Oscar Gutierrez and asks, which coach looks the worst, Coach K with the amount of talent he had and losing in the lead eight or Coach Cal not making the final four now after, what, two to four years with top recruiting classes. The way the media paints every time Kentucky loses before they even make the final four or anything like that, it's a disappointment and Cal is losing an edge and all this and all that. 
And if you go back to when Duke signed Zion, you will have people coming out and saying that Coach K is starting to beat Cal at his own game, which he's he's really not. Cal has more Final Fours, more Elite Eights, all that than what Coach K does in the last 10 years. I know Coach K has more national championships, and that's what matters I get that I totally do but Duke the way when Duke wins it's not mainly just because of freshmen I know the Jula Okafor year and the Ty Jones year like all that those were freshmen and that was big for him but if you look consistently throughout what Coach K does it's having talented young players with a mix of upperclassmen and he is sort of transitioning to now the one and done thing and reloading every year and that hasn't panned out quite yet I know again winning with Okafor and everything like that as freshmen that did happen but this team this year for Duke with the top three recruits maybe if the best recruiting class of all time if I mean for them not to win and being pegged as the number one overall seed and everything like that, you I feel like you have to be viewed more as the disappointment and looks worse for Coach K more than it does Coach Cal. It just has to. I mean, you're the number one overall seed in the country in the tournament. You have the best player in the country with Zion on your team. You're playing Michigan State, who is a good team, probably the best two seed out of all the two seeds, uh, but matchup-wise, nobody on that team should have been able to keep up with Zion, and Duke just didn't come out ready to play, and I think that falls on Coach K's shoulders, and I think that that ultimately leads to Coach K looking worse after the Elite Eight loss. Moving on to our next question from Jeff Prifty, who asked, do you think Matt Kuchar's image took a hit this week by snitching on Sergio? Kucher's image has been taking a hit all year from the El Cu- uh, excuse me, El Tucan caddy incident that happened earlier and brought to rise how much of a cheap-ass Kucher is to now this, where if you don't know what happened, I'll try and give you a dumbed-down version. This week, it was match play style on the PGA Tour, and Matt Kucher and Sergio Garcia were in a match, and Matt Kucher got a bogey, I believe, and what happened was Sergio comes up for a birdie putt, hits it close, Kucher doesn't concede the par putt or anything like that, and so Sergio quickly tries to tap in for his par, whatever, kind of lackadaisical, like, oh, whatever, and Sergio misses, bogey, they have the hole, and on the next tee, they go back and forth and say, oh, I didn't mean to do that, whatever. Uh, I was going to concede the hole. Can I go back and do that? And knowing full well, I think Kucher did, knowing that he couldn't do that at all. And so Sergio offered him the thing of, oh, well, just concede this hole, and it's all good. It's like it never happened, whatever. We're back to all square. Okay. Um, and Kucher just wouldn't do that. Kucher is starting to look like a real asshole now throughout the entire f- first half of this 
golf season, and we are only in April, so we got a lot of golf left this year. Um, like I said, he's starting to look like a real jackass. I never was this big Kucher fan, but now uh, there's more and more reasons for me to dislike him and sort of root against him. Kucher and Sergio put out a video on Monday, I believe, or Tuesday of this week after it. The incident happened, saying they were all good, everything like that. It was super fucking awkward, super forced. It looked like I w- wasn't a fan of it at all, but I, to those guys, I guess they're good, so whatever. But to answer your question, yeah, it makes him look even worse, and his reputation takes an even bigger hit than what it already has. Moving on... I don't know why these two continue to do this, but Kennedy Poston and Christina Barone. Uh, Christina Barone, may you sponsor me? And Kennedy Poston, sponsor me. Again, I don't know what the fuck that means, but there you go. You're sponsored. Um, Christina Barone asked, would you risk it all for me? Potentially. We'll see. Um, another question from Christina Barone. Fuck, Mary kill me. Loaded Tots and Punta Cana Hot Dogs. Um, I'm killing you. I'm marrying the Loaded Tots and I'm fucking the Punta Cana Hot Dogs. And moving on from those ridiculous questions Tina asks, we go to Michael Turner who asks, how will you spend your weekend now that there's no AAF? The same way I was because I was never into the AAF. Um, And I might be into the XFL just because it's related to Vince McMahon, but I will going to be honest with you was never into the AF. I am not into I second rate football. And I hate to say that, but there's a reason these guys weren't on teams and they weren't signed. And that's that I was just never into the AF. It sucks that these guys are going to lose opportunities to get more, uh, of themselves on film, making plays, and maybe getting a chance for them to get signed to a team in the NFL. That is my only, like, quip and, like, problem I have with the entire situation of the AF shutting down. But I think I maybe watched five minutes of actual game time at the AAF the first weekend. Everybody was super hyped about it. I was like, okay, yep, yeah, we'll see how this goes. Um, it was on at a pregame or something I was at, and I would casually watch, but I was never enthralled by it at all. So I, the same way I have, just doing other shit than watching the AAF, Mike. I'm sorry. We now shift gears to NCAA basketball and a wild weekend that was the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. We start on Thursday, March 28th with four games, and... Two of them were pretty shitty, and two of them were pretty good, but extremely different. Um, Gonzaga and Florida State faced off, and Gonzaga took it to Florida State and won 72-58. Not much to really talk about there. The other kind of shitty game was Texas Tech and Michigan. Texas Tech uh, stifled and shut down Michigan all game with their insane defense, forcing turnovers continuously for the Red Raiders as they beat Michigan 63 to 44. And then we get to some pretty good games where Purdue knocked off the two seed Tennessee in a 99 94 overtime battle, which saw Carson Edwards put up 29 points on 8 of 22 shooting and 8 of 14 from the line. 
And then in a, like I said, a totally different game, but still a good game if you're a fan of this type of basketball. But Virginia beat the 12 seed Oregon Ducks 53-49. And then we went to the games on Friday night. The next day you had LSU getting sort of owned by Michigan State, which I sort of expected happening with, excuse me, Izzo having the coaching advantage against a uh, Will Wade-less uh, LSU team and then in an upset uh, Auburn took care of North Carolina at 97 to 80 Auburn was killing it shooting the ball extremely well and Okiki um, as I mentioned earlier in the mail sack segment went down in this game late for Auburn and he played a huge part with 20 points and 10 rebounds really neutralizing Luke May for the better part of that game in another close game for Duke, they ended up beating Virginia Tech 75-73, Virginia Tech missing a game-time layup at the last second. And then in a very close game, you had Houston falling to the two-seed Kentucky Wildcats, and then we switched two games on Saturday. It was Texas Tech going up against Gonzaga, and I was all in on Gonzaga in this. I thought they had a deeper roster and everything. But, again, Texas Tech's defense was incredible. Culver had a good game, and other players stepped up as well, which propelled Texas Tech to a 75-69 win. And then in what some people are saying is the game of the tournament and one of the best tournament games ever, and certainly within the last couple years, you had Virginia knocking off Purdue in overtime, Virginia hitting the last-second shot to tie the game. But the story of this game, honestly, had to be Carson Edwards, 42 points, 14 to 25 from field goals. I think he had 10 three-pointers, or at least more than 10 three-pointers in this game, and unfortunately just couldn't get it done in overtime. And then Sunday, the games in the Elite Eight were Auburn and Kentucky Auburn winning that one, and Michigan State beating Duke. Don't want to spend a lot of time on those just because they're sad. I mean, Kentucky losing sad. Um, So we're going to look ahead to the games this week of Auburn going up against Virginia and Texas Tech going up against Michigan State in the Final Four for the right to play in the national championship game. The first game we'll talk about is Auburn and Virginia. It's crazy to me that Auburn is even here going through New Mexico State, who they almost lose to in the first round, and then rallying off against the blue bloods of college basketball in Kansas, North Carolina, and Kentucky to find their way into the Final Four. And this one, it's a totally different contrasting styles of who can of these two teams. And whichever team can get the other team to play at their style more consistently, I definitely think is going to be able to win. And I know that's sort of like a given, but I think style of play here is going to be a huge factor. What is going to be interesting is say Auburn does stay hot and comes out and gets a lead of maybe 10 plus points at some point in the game it'll be interesting to see how Virginia responds to that adversity um, they've been in a bunch of close games in the tournament so far um, they were down 14 in the first game of the tournament to the 16 seed uh, they were in a close game against Auburn uh, against excuse me against Oregon this past weekend but Virginia is not built to really come back from a deficit, a multiple point deficit, double digit deficit like that. So if Auburn can do that, I feel confident in them. It's 
I thought it was hard to win 12 games and stay as hot as they did to beat Kentucky, but apparently this team just does not care at all. What could be a factor is if not that Kentucky's bigs didn't take advantage of the lack of Okiki and other presence inside, but they didn't do enough with it and the other players for Auburn were able to step up and take advantage. I wonder if the guard play of Guy and Jerome and other people like that for Virginia, where I don't think that Virginia's bigs are going to really blow away and take over this game for Virginia, but if they can provide something okay enough and have those guys on the outside Some of them just play their game. I think Virginia's style is going to win out. They're going to be able to control the ball and slow down Auburn and ultimately win this game and find themselves in the national championship. And then the other game, the Texas Tech versus Michigan State. Um, The leading scorer for Texas Tech, Jared Culver, 18.9 points per game. Cassius Winston put the team on his back against Duke, and I think it's going to take another big performance from him for them to win. Ultimately, shit, this this one is hard. I think this is going to be the better game of the two. Um, Again, I want Michigan State to win, so I'm going to go with Michigan State, and then ultimately it's going to suck. But I do think Virginia ends up beating Michigan State just because I think in the championship game they are a way more complete team to me with more all-around players than what Michigan State has. What I will say about this Final Four in a very roundabout way, I don't think anybody would have predicted these four teams to represent their conference, but I really enjoy and am happy that the big four conferences, you would say the power, I know the power five is a thing with the Pac-12 being in there, but hasn't really been that way in college basketball for a while now, but having a team from the Big Ten, the Big 12, the SEC, and the ACC is pretty cool to me to have that in the Final Four, so I think that is a nice little storyline and a tie-in that all these guys were their conference tournament champions, and excuse me, either conference tournament champions or had a tire share of their regular season um, conference champions. So that is cool to see to me, and we can see who the best conference is, I guess, by who wins. But ultimately, I think Virginia, with the way they've been playing and everything like that, if they can impose their will and get teams to play their style uh, with their depth at so many positions and their coaching, I do think... Virginia winds up leaving Minneapolis with the championship this coming Monday night. All right, with the official business taken care of, this is the point now. If you don't want to hear wrestling talk, just shut the podcast off because this is where this begins. WrestleMania 35 is this Sunday in New York slash New Jersey at MetLife Stadium where the Giants and the Jets play. And it is a massive card for the show of shows for WWE. We are going to begin this preview with saying that I think the w- this is an extremely important year for the WWE with them moving SmackDown to Fox, and that was a huge deal for them. 
billion dollar deal, I believe. And this show is, I think, could set the entire tone for the entire year for WWE. So let's get things started with, with like I said, this is a massive card. So this is going to take a little bit because I'm going to weigh in on things. And what I'm also going to do is give you my excitement level for each match that is happening. The first match that is going to be happening on the kickoff pre-show is the women's, excuse me, battle royal with confirmed entrance of Asuka, Carmella, Naomi, Lana, Mandy Rose, Sonya Deville, Nikki Cross, Dana Brooke, Ruby Riot, Liv Morgan, Sarah Logan, Mickey James, Zelina Vega. The obvious answer, I think, for this match to win would be Asuka. Um... They kind of screwed her out of her SmackDown's Women's Championship two weeks ago on SmackDown so they could get the belt on Charlotte so they could unify both titles, I believe, at WrestleMania for the final match. I mean, that is guaranteed going to happen. All the titles are going to be on the line in the main event, but we'll get to that when we get there. My excitement level for this match, unfortunately, is extremely low. I'll go 1 through 10 here, and on this, I think it's maybe a two or a three. Um, They've really hammered home the two big women's matches on this card. And then they're sort of just saying, all right, here's everybody else. Um, Go ahead and get in this battle Royal. Um, But like I said, potential winners of this Oscar, they've had some things, maybe some rumors going on for Liv Morgan, uh, not she could win. Uh, Nikki cross as well would be a big moment for her early in her career. Um, maybe Mandy Rose, they've had some thoughts for her as well. Ruby Riot would be a big win for her, especially with the year that the Riot Squad has had. Um, if Lacey Evans makes her debut in this match, which could happen, I think she walks out the winner because apparently Vince McMahon is pretty high on her, but nothing against these women at all. They're sort of just put in a real bad spot. Um, where WWE hasn't given them enough interest. So I am going to, I guess I'll go with, I'll go with a debuting Lacey Evans to win the uh, Women's Battle Royal. And continuing on the kickoff show, we have the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, which this used to be a big match and thought of super highly the first year it happened when Cesaro won it, and now it is just sort of a nothing match, and I hate to say that. But this year, so far, the confirmed entrance, Braun Strowman, Michael Shea, and Colin Jost, the host of SNL's um, Weekend Update, them and Bra- hit those two and Braun Strowman have their sort of own program. That is, they didn't. They, I don't think they could have their own match, so they are thrown into this battle royal. Um, Andrade is in it. Apollo Cruz is in it. Titus O'Neil, Tyler Breeze, Jinder Mahal, No Way Jose, Bobby Roode, Chad Gable, Lucha House Party, Bo Dallas, Curtis Axel, Heath Slater, Rhino, Victor Connor, Ali, Shelton Benjamin, Luke Gallows, Carl Anderson, Matt Hardy, Jeff Hardy, Otis Tucker, and EC3, and I. Imagine Kevin Owens will probably be in it as well. Um, really hoping that they don't do this, but I could see Michael Shea and Colin Jost winning this whole fucking thing just because of them being celebrities and being involved in this. Um, again, no real excitement for this at all. Uh, probably a two, a one or a two 
honestly. WWE, I appreciate them getting as many people on the card so they can say they've wrestled out of WrestleMania and get them their payday, but just the driving narrative behind this being the storyline of Colin Jones and Michael Shea against Braun Strowman has just done absolutely fucking nothing for me, so... Unfortunately, I do think those two are one. However, they're going to do is going to end up winning, and it's just going to be a disgrace. But they probably will, just knowing WWE what they've done in the past. Um, the last sh- match on the kickoff show is the Cruiserweight Championship match between Buddy Murphy and Tony Nese. My excitement level for this is about an 8 or a 9. If these guys are given time, they're going to have one of the better matches out of the entire weekend for the WWE. Um, Buddy Murphy is... Both these guys, incredible athletes, and just given enough time to showcase what they're doing, which I hope they do get. It sucks that they're on the pre-show, the kickoff show, whatever you want to call it. I know WWE is pretty big on the kickoff show because pre-show makes it seem like it's not the main show, but it's not the main show. And it sucks that the uh, title within WWE isn't, but... And this, I think, Buddy Murphy retains against Tony Nese. Moving on to a match that was just added tonight, Tuesday I'm recording this, um, the SmackDown Tag Team Championship. You have the Usos versus Ricochet and Aleister Black versus The Bar versus Rusev and Nakamura. Excitement level for this is probably at about a 4 or 5. It's going to be a good match because all these guys are good workers and whatnot, but there is no storyline here whatsoever. I think you can take the bar and Rusev and Nakamura out of this completely. I don't think they have any real shot of winning. I think maybe shock value as a ultimate call-up thing. Ricochet and Aleister Black might walk out of this. They're also in NXT's Tag Team Championship match the night before. I think they lose that, but I think ultimately Ricochet and Aleister Black do end up winning this and... Like I said, this match isn't going to be bad. Everybody in this is fantastic workers and extremely competent. It'll be interesting to see if they do pull that trigger for Ricochet and Aleister Black in this match to really solidify their call-up and be like, all right, these guys are here now. Like, they're here. And hopefully if they do pull that trigger, and even if they don't, um, hopefully they get SmackDown works its way to a program of the Usos versus... Alistair Black and Ricochet because those matches I think would be incredibly good and could be off the charts maybe better than what the New Day and the Usos were able to do and moving on now to a match that if it wasn't a farewell match I would not give two fucks about this but Kurt Angle versus Baron Corbin in Kurt Angle's farewell match I give this about a five it would be higher for me if Baron Corbin was replaced by somebody else but WWE doesn't look like they're going to be pulling the trigger on that um uh, cool little storyline that Kurt Angle and Baron Corbin had a while ago and sort of got cooled off and then they picked it back up where Corbin took Kurt Angle's GM job and Corbin became Constable Corbin and everything like that for Raw and that was sort of a cool storyline but that got put back on the back burners and Braun Strowman and Baron Corbin were sort of the feud once Angle was off TV and whatnot then when he got brought back when Angle got 
brought back to WWE television. They sort of referenced the storyline a little bit, but it was never at the forefront. But now it is pretty much the driving force behind their storyline, um, besides the whole farewell aspect. I think the way it's set up with Raw ending with Corbin being in the ankle lock and just the whole old school mentality that Kurt has been subscribed to where your last match, you put the guy over. I think Corbin wins this. I don't think it's going to be that great of a match. Um, I wish that Kurt Angle was going out with much more against a much better guy, but that's just not the case. So we're going to be forced to put up with Kurt Angle versus Baron Corbin, apparently, and I think Corbin wins that. The next match, we have The Miz versus Shane McMahon in a Falls Count Anywhere match. Um, I'm so fucking sick and tired of Shane McMahon having WrestleMania matches where he's going to jump off something tall, he's going to jump off the top rope and do his elbow drop through the announce table in every goddamn match he does. He's going to do a coast-to-coast, and those are his only moves that he does. Totally sick of it. I guarantee you it's going to happen. My excitement level for this match is probably at like a four. Um, And that's because solely because of The Miz and how good of a talker he is. I'm going to put The Miz over in this one. But again, in no way am I like super excited for this match. The storyline, fairly good. Good buildup, I will say. Um, Some people... Where Shane turned on Miz. Some people were thinking Miz was going to turn on Shane. I think it's interesting and new that we see Miz as this babyface who can still deliver good promos and people are still behind him. So I put the Miz beating Shane McMahon. The next match we have the women's tag team championship match as the champions Sasha Banks and Bailey defend against Beth Phoenix and Natalia versus Nia Jax and Tamina versus the Iconics. I think that the excitement level for this, I'll put at a 6 or a 7 because of Beth Phoenix coming out of retirement. Um, each team brings something different to this entire equation. Um, I think the two best working teams are Sasha and Bailey and Beth Phoenix and Natalia. Um at the end of the day, from the narrative that I think WWE was trying to push at the end, they're going to have the four horsewomen of wrestling um, at the end come out and hold up belts and stuff. So I think, ultimately, Sasha Banks and Bayley do retain in this match. Moving on to the United States Championship match, you have Samoa Joe, who is the champion, going up against Rey Mysterio, who apparently hurt his ankle this past Monday night in a match on Monday Night Raw. So his status is in question. Don't know if that's a work or a shoot. I'm breaking kayfabe here. Holy shit. But um, I think ultimately Samoa Joe wins this. And and if they don't and they do put it on Ray, I think you gotta strap the fucking rocket onto Samoa Joe because it is about time that the United States Championship was his first singles title. Um... If he does lose it, he cannot just middle around the mid-card anymore, or else you're going to lose him as an entire character because, like, he's built up as this beast, like, destroying everything type guy, and just this monster guy, but 
yes, physically and the way he speaks and promo-wise and everything, I agree with that. But at the end, at, when things push comes to shove, wins and losses do matter. And in the people's mind, if he just keeps losing, it's not going to happen. The way they did and they got him the United States Championship belt, I think that uh, verified and solidified himself in a lot of people's minds that like, okay, we knew that he was this badass, but now this he has this title and that reassures it. So I don't think they are going to take the championship off of him at WrestleMania. I think he should keep the U.S. title for a lengthy run and try and bring some prestige to that. But the U.S. title just hasn't been able to do that for the last couple years. But hopefully Samoa Joe can do that. And by doing that, he's going to have to win this match. Excitement level for this is about a 6 or a 7 if they get time, which on a very crowded WrestleMania um card it might be hard for them to do but if they get some time or if they just go balls to the fucking wall with whatever time they're given they will be more than capable of having a great match the next match is the intercontinental championship which is defended by bobby lashley the champion going up against finn balor who is in his demon persona who on monday night raw introduced that demon persona again in an extremely terrible um pre-recorded package it seemed like um was totally stupid i think this might open up the show and give fans a like feel good see finn balor win their Connell championship moment um and start off this incredibly long pay-per-view but Demon Finn Balor is not losing to Bobby Lashley. Demon Finn Balor is not losing anytime soon. So anytime he paints up, um, he is going to win. So I take Finn Balor in this match. Up next, we have Triple H versus Batista in a no-holds-barred match where if Triple H loses, he has to retire from wrestling for the WWE. All signs point to Triple H winning when they added this career-on-the-line thing. But I am, I, some reason, I think WWE just, they could really harp on the whole, and they did with their video package. Triple H has never beat Batista, and I think Triple H would be okay with Batista retiring him, but... I think Triple H is also from that old school of thought where you need to put over the guy in your last match, and Batista in no way needs this put, being put over anything like that because he's just part-timer, even if you want to call him a part-timer, with how his movie career is being so successful and how little he does ever wrestle and whatnot. I mean, it's been years since the last time we've seen him. When I went to record this and scrolled up, I was going to go with Batista, but I think I am going to pick Triple H in this one. My excitement level for this one is probably 9 or 10 because I love both these guys. Uh, Probably a bigger Triple H fan than Batista fan, but I'm going to go with Triple H in this one just because I don't think Triple H would lose his last match to Batista I think ultimately he will lose his last match but this is not his last match the next match on the card we have to talk about is AJ Styles versus Randy Orton and my excitement level for this is about a five they have been pretty throwing some pretty hot takes and shots at each other um this past Tuesday um 
AJ Styles talked about how Randy Orton failed a wellness drugness wellness policy drug test. Um, that's not really talked about a lot with Randy Orton, um, who early on in his career did get busted with a drug test for the wellness policy with WWE. They did a spot that I thought they were going to do at WrestleMania tonight on SmackDown, so it leads me to believe that AJ Styles is going to win this match against Randy Orton, and I... It's just uh, it's to me this match is just there. Um, I feel like those two guys just had nothing going on, and they were WWE was just sort of like, all right, well, they'll have a good match. Let's just put those two together. The next match you have Roman Reigns in his first um, real big pay per view match since his leukemia comeback, going up against Drew McIntyre. Um, Drew McIntyre is pegged for superstardom in the WWE so it's pretty interesting to see them putting him them up against Roman Reigns in this I don't think Roman Reigns in his first big singles match back is going to lose I think Roman Reigns beats Drew McIntyre in this and what is going to be an extremely hard-hitting match we'll probably get a lot of time they can probably tell a good story I think Roman Reigns who after leukemia has been one of the top good guys in the entire company, um, is going to get massive cheers during this match, and I ultimately think Roman Reigns defeats Drew McIntyre. And what is, I guess, the last three main events, I guess these are the main events for WrestleMania, but not the main event. Um, WWE Championship match, you have Daniel Bryan, the champion, going up against Kofi Kingston. WWE doing a very shortened, abridged version of the Daniel Bryan Yes Movement storyline with Kofi Kingston this these last couple months, starting after the Royal Rumble, um, where Kofi was kind of screwed out of opportunities and things like that, having to go through gauntlet matches and having to start the Elimination Chamber match number one. Everything like that. Oh, boy. Everything in my fiber wants me to pick Kofi to win this match, but I don't. Mm. Uh, Yeah, I think Kofi does end up winning this match. And I think maybe they move Daniel Bryan to Raw after this. And I think that would be best. I don't think they need to continue the storyline with Daniel Bryan and Kofi after this. I think Kofi can just do everything he's been. Kofi has been in the company for 11 years. It's time. He would be the first black um, WWE champion. I don't think anybody more deserving than him, really. Um, I think if WWE is going to pull the trigger, there's no better place to do it than WrestleMania. So for that reason, I go with Kofi Kingston over Daniel Bryan. Then in the Universal Championship match, you have the champion Brock Lesnar going up against Royal Rumble winner Seth Rollins, who at the time when he won the Royal Rumble, he was he picked Brock Lesnar to avenge um, Roman Reigns, his shield brethren, who couldn't get past Brock Lesnar. My excitement level for this match is probably about like a six or seven, and the storyline has been kind of shitty. Um, Paul Heyman promo, beat, have each guy beat each other up after a promo, blah, 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 copy and paste for 
the entire build to this. Ultimately, I think Brock Lesnar wins this, and I don't think he goes to the UFC like everybody's thinking. I think Vince is going to sign him to another deal to maybe at least close out this year, or at least until SummerSlam, and have Roman come back and be the one that beats him and takes the title off of him, but I don't think they're going to pull the trigger on Seth Rollins winning, and I think Brock Lesnar is the one that walks out of WrestleMania as Universal Champion. And then the last match, the main event, the first time this ever happened, a women's match main eventing WrestleMania, and it only took 35 times for it to happen, but a winner-take-all match as Ronda Rousey, the Raw Women's Champion, faces Charlotte Fair, the SmackDown Women's Champion, and Becky Lynch in a triple threat match. And a couple things with this. There is a pull-apart segment where each of these three got a fake arrested on Monday Night Raw, and they hammered that home and played that and talked about that so fucking much on Raw, and then they talked about that so fucking much on SmackDown, like, it ruined the entire segment for me, it was cool in the moment, cool to see, like, cool idea, and I love how they still attacked each other while they were in handcuffs, and were kicking each other and everything like that, but holy shit, they talked about this so much, my excitement level for this match is at a 10, because although the story, it was very simple, and easy for them to do, and they kind of, it originally was just scheduled Ronda Rousey versus Becky Lynch, and then they shoehorned Charlotte Flair in it, and then they took Becky out of it, and like, made it real all convoluted, and way harder than the storyline had to fucking be, I was fine with them adding Charlotte Flair, because she's a big name, and within the storyline reasons and stuff, it makes sense going all the way back to Survivor Series when Becky Lynch got taken out of the match because of her broken nose and everything. So I don't have a problem with that, but how they shoehorned her in with Vince McMahon just fucking adding her and then them taking Becky out and the injury angle and all that, like, they really fucked up this storyline telling with them. Like, it was so simple. It could have just been laid out and been there, but they made it so just way more harder than what it had to be. Um, I, Ronda Rousey is definitely taking time off after this, so I do not think she wins. I think Becky Lynch wins and gives one of the titles to Charlotte Flair, and it's just like, nah, you, you got this, like, whatever, and then I think that just because, I think Becky Lynch wins just because of her storyline, the man, and how much the fans are behind her, and WWE typically does do a WrestleMania feel-good ending, and this is would be the ultimate feel-good ending for fans that have been following Becky Lynch and been supporting her and behind her. And um, I definitely think WWE sees that and understands that and knows that. And then I think that the narrative that they've been trying to get over where the four horsewomen of NXT to the WWE now of Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch, Sasha Banks, and Bayley come out and they all raise a title and that is how we close wrestlemania 35 and i hope that sets up where ronda can come back and face those four with her mma four horsewomen those seeds have been planted for about a year and a half two years now and i hope we get to see that at this year's survivor series but to end wrestlemania i think becky lynch wins this triple threat winner take all match and okay just to reiterate, I know if you did listen to this, um, my excitement levels for a lot of the matches weren't very high, 
that is no way indicates I'm not excited for this show. It's going to be a long show. It's probably going to be a very okay middle-of-the-road show just from what the card has for me personally. I'm still excited because it's WrestleMania. It's the biggest fucking show of the year for WWE. Like, how can you not be excited for that? But I'm just a little cautious about certain matches, getting certain to- certain time limits and restrictions, and hoping that certain people win so there are the feel-good, happy moments like a Kofi Kingston win, like a Becky Lynch win, like a Seth Rollins win, which I don't think is going to happen. Um, a Roman Reigns win would be a feel-good win, and if you would have told that to anybody within the last two or three years, you would have been ridiculed and booed out of your fucking mind. But, again... Excitement levels for matches, not crazily all there, but excitement level for the entire show because of what it is, Russell fucking mania, it's a 10 out of 10. So that closes the WrestleMania 35 preview. That closes this week's edition, episode 52 of Carson Zach Podcast, where we talk balls. I thank you for listening and tuning in. Like, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, all that good shit. Share this with everybody. And as we always end here on Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls, we will be seeing you.